0: God's word this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have now to open up your word. May our hearts be ready to receive it, Jesus. We know you're right here. We love you. This is all for you, Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, yesterday, my daughter graduated from college. Mandy, my daughter, graduated from Point Loma Nazarene University. Man, long time coming. We were praying. And we were paying. Believe me, we were paying. (laughs) Expensive. But we're glad she's through it now. Uh, Jordan Lemke from this church also graduated from Point Loma. Tristan Kernow. So congratulations to the Lemkes and the Kernows. That was a big day yesterday. We're very excited. Uh, We're talking about the Bible, obviously. Going through the ordinary superheroes of the Old Testament. People that impacted the world for, for God. People that were ordinary, just like you and me. But they encountered an extraordinary God. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through every one that we've covered uh, through this series. But let me at least highlight the major time periods. You know, we, Let's start with the wandering in the wilderness. After they exited out of Egypt, Moses leading 2 million people. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Then they conquered the land under the leadership of Joshua for 7. There were judges who ruled in the nation of Israel when they conquered the land. There weren't kings, judges, 13 of them. We highlighted three of them. They were Deborah, Gideon, and Samson. Then we talked about the United Kingdom. Ultimately, the people wanted a king. So Samuel the prophet, uh, he, he anointed Saul as the first king of Israel. Then came David, a man after God's own heart. Then Solomon, a man out, uh, initially started out well, but then began to compromise. And that compromise led to a divided kingdom where the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which had zero kings that followed after God out of 20. And out of the southern kingdom, there were eight that followed after God. Not much better, but a little bit better. We talked about one of them, King Josiah, a man that brought about a revival in the nation of Israel. Last week, we talked about Jeremiah the prophet that was in the land of Judah at 586 when the Babylonians came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And we talked about Jeremiah being the the weeping prophet, the prophet that wrote the book of Lamentations and yet was able to say, as he watched Jerusalem being destroyed, he was able to say, God, great is your faithfulness. Still staying close to you, God, in the midst of this judgment because of our sin. After Jerusalem was conquered in 586 B.C., the Babylonians took thousands of Jews and marched them back to Babylon as slaves. And Daniel was one of them. Daniel was this prophet that we're going to talk about today. And Daniel's best known for being the prophet that was thrown into a what? A lion's den, exactly. And he survived because he refused to stop praying to his God. But he's also well known for an amazing prophecy that he gave, that the angel Gabriel gave to him. And it was an amazing prophecy, and we're going to talk about that today, as he is one of the prophets in that 70-year period of exile in the kingdom of Babylon. My title today is Back to the Future, as, uh, as Daniel gives this amazing prophecy about what's going to happen in the future. He uh, ministered in Babylon. Another prophet there was a man by the name of Ezekiel. So that sets the context of what we're talking about today. The bottom line of our message is this. Daniel delivers an encouraging word from the Lord that drives home the sovereignty of God, the future plans he has for Israel and believers, and the fact that our hope for everlasting life should always be firmly rooted in the one true God. My prayer is that every one of you today know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, you believe in Jesus. And your hope for everlasting life is firmly grounded in Jesus Christ and what he did. Daniel was a believer. He was praying that God would restore the nation of Israel, thousands of Jews in exile. And he was saying, God, remember your people. And with that in mind, we're going to open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Do you have your Bibles? Please open them to Daniel chapter nine. If you don't, there are pew Bibles, chair Bibles nearby. Page seven forty-seven in your chair Bibles. And I'm going to start at verse nineteen. Then we'll jump down to verse twenty-four. Dan- Daniel's praying, God, God, remember your people. We're in exile here. He says in verse nineteen of chapter nine, "O Lord, hear! O Lord, forgive! O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake." Oh, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel's praying for God to rise up and act and restore the nation of Israel. So what happens? The angel Gabriel, you can see in verse 21, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I've seen in a vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your plea for mercy, your word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. All right, Daniel. And you're greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Here's the vision. A prophecy that impacts our thinking about end times today. Made 550 years before the time of Christ. Here's the vision. 70 weeks. Now, if you know anything about prophecy, the period of weeks is known as 70 years, all right? 70 periods of seven years. So a week isn't seven days. It's a period of seven years. So 70 periods of seven years are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to steal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one. Who's that anointed one? Jesus, right? Anointed one is another way of saying the word Messiah. This anointed one that's coming. They said this. A prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks... An anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come, that's the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, a period of seven years. And for half of that period of seven years, he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Here's the first thing I love about this passage and I love about Daniel. And we should apply it to our lives as well. It's this. God is our source of hope, even in the midst of rebellion and persecution. God is our source of hope. Maybe turn me down a little bit on my mic, just a little bit. God is the source of our hope. Daniel doesn't go to other places to find hope. He goes directly to God in prayer. He goes directly to God and prays, God, we're turning to you. We need hope. And that's exactly what he does. He is praying and God acts. He rises up and answers the prayer of Daniel. See, the prophecy of Daniel is very encouraging. This is basically what it says, that an end of God's judgment is coming. This 70-year period of exile is coming to an end. Jerusalem will be rebuilt. The nation of Israel will be restored. The Messiah, the Anointed One, is still coming. See, the Jews were wondering, are the promises of God forgotten? We're in exile in a land that's not ours. We've been marched off as slaves. Will Israel ever be rebuilt again? And Daniel's prophecy says, yes, yes, Jerusalem and Israel will be rebuilt. The Messiah, the anointed one, still coming. Yet there will be abominations. There will be evil acts. But God will bring an end to those evil acts as well. You know, as you look at the prophecy of Daniel about end times, there are some key terms that you need to understand. Some key prophetic terms. Here they are. The Antichrist. Who is he? He's a powerful world leader. That will promote Satan's agenda, which includes persecuting Jews and Christians. Uh, Bob's here today. He sent me an article from the BBC that identified Christians as the most persecuted group in the world. That's the BBC News. They said it's to the point where it's almost genocide. How many Christians Around the world are being persecuted. And if you think it's bad now, it will get much, much worse under the Antichrist as he persecutes Jews and Christians. Secondly, the Great Tribulation, what's that? It's a period of seven years prophesied by Daniel and Jesus in which the Antichrist makes a seven year covenant of peace with Israel. Halfway through, though, the covenant is broken in a period of massive persecution. And destruction begins. The Bible's really clear. This Antichrist will make a covenant of peace with Israel. And people will be saying, oh man, we finally have peace under this great world leader. Halfway through, the covenant is broken. He sets himself up as God in the temple. That's our next term that we're going to look at. The abomination of desolation. An act committed by the Antichrist at the midterm of the tribulation in which He proclaims himself as God in the temple in Jerusalem. Halfway through, he will demand that the world worships him and will begin to persecute Jews and Christians. Another term that we need to understand is a term in the Bible known as the wrath of God. The wrath of God is a pouring out of God's judgment on a rebellious world, especially towards the end of the Great Tribulation. As a response to those who have aligned themselves with Satan, and the Antichrist. There is a time coming when God is going to pour out His wrath on sin. He's in a period of waiting, right? That's why we call this period a time of grace. God's amazing grace, waiting, longing for people to come to Him. But there will be a time when God's wrath will be poured out. Another term about the end times that you should be aware of is a term known as the millennium. The millennium is a period of 1,000 years following the great tribulation in which Jesus Christ will physically reign on the earth, establishing his kingdom in power and glory. For a thousand years, Jesus will reign on the earth, and that ultimately will lead to a new earth and a new heaven. But for a thousand years of physical reign on this earth. See, I say all of this to let you know God is in control God is sovereign he's working out his plan and the only place where you can find true hope for you for your future is in Jesus Christ nowhere else it's in God Daniel knew that Daniel starts out by praying God remember your promises remember your people and God answers In a big way. Here's the second thing we should remember it's this God is sovereign over the course of world events, and nothing will stop his plan. It doesn't matter how powerful any human leader becomes, they can in no way slow down the plan of God or stop the plan of God. It will happen. And what should be a reminder to us of that reality is the fact that Jesus Christ himself came exactly as was prophesied, died exactly as the word of God prophesied. Nothing stopped his plan. No one thwarted the plan of God. He completed it. It is finished. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew 24. It's kind of a parallel passage to Daniel chapter 9. Matthew 24 says, I believe, is the central prophetic passage in all of Scripture. If you're going to study prophecy, my advice to you is this. Start out with Matthew 24. Build a timeline in Matthew 24 from Jesus' words to his disciples, and then begin to look at all the other passages of Scripture. Matthew 24. Verse 3, it says this. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Hey, Jesus, tell us what's going to happen in the future. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We see that now, don't we? All around the world. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. He's saying, when you see that stuff, you know it's getting close, but not yet. More has to happen. Here's the more. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for not my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole earth as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now here's the parallel to Daniel. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. He's in essence saying, hey, go back and read the passage. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What he's saying is this, when you see the Antichrist standing in the temple in Jerusalem, the end is very near, not much time left. Now you might say, well Mel, there's a a problem, right? Uh, There's a problem with this prophecy. And the problem is, for the Antichrist to stand in the temple of Jerusalem, what has to be rebuilt? Temple exactly, and it will be. Let me get to that in just a second. But here are the signs from Matthew 24 false Christ, rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes, tribulation and hatred, a great falling away, lawlessness will increase, gospel will be preached to the entire world, and then will come what Daniel talked about and what Jesus talked about the abomination of desolation. When he, like Daniel says, shall make a strong covenant with Israel and others for one week, seven years. And for half of the week, shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination, there's the word, shall come one who makes desolate. Three passages that pertain to this amazing series of events. And there are more, but here's three I thought I'd put on the screen that are kind of parallel to me. Daniel nine twenty seven, the wing of abominations. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place let the reader understand Paul writes in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that you'll see the man of lawlessness will be revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God all of these passages an amazing uh, fitting together of the prophecies of the Bible of what the end times will be like. It's a sobering message. And when you take Daniel's timeline, it's even more amazing. So let me go through Daniel's prophecy from a timeline perspective. In 457 B.C., sure enough, just like Daniel prophesied, Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, after they defeat Babylon, allow the Jews to rebuild Jerusalem. Daniel made his prophecy about 550 B.C., The decree to rebuild came at 457 B.C. Artaxerxes allows the city of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. In 4 B.C., Jesus is born in the city of Bethlehem. We know it was 4 B.C. because Herod was still alive. Herod died in 4 B.C. So Jesus must have been born in 4 B.C. That means that his... Baptism and making himself known as the Messiah sent from God began when he was 30 years old, when the Antichrist was finally revealed. That happened in 26 A.D., when Jesus was 30 years old. How many years are there between 457 B.C. and 26 A.D.? There's exactly 483 years. When you take the timeline of Daniel, he says from the year uh, the, the decree is made... To rebuild Jerusalem, the clock starts ticking to the time when the anointed one will be revealed. If you take the math of that, it's this. Seven weeks plus 62 weeks equals 69 weeks or 69 periods of seven years. If you add it all together, 483 years, exactly as Daniel prophesied. But there's one period of seven weeks left because the prophecy is known as Daniel's 70 weeks. One period of seven weeks left. That one period will be the great tribulation. There is a pause in the timeline in this period of God's grace. He's waiting for people to come to salvation. But there's one more period of seven years that Daniel spoke about. It'll be that period of the great tribulation. Even Isaiah predicted the Messiah being cut off when he said this, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. That's the Messiah. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. Stricken for the transgression of my people. All of these prophecies in the Old Testament folks, beautifully fitting together. 2 Thessalonians Says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, the day of the Lord, by the way. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. That day is coming. But the temple has to be rebuilt. You know, for many years, people mocked the prophecies of the Bible. I've shared this before. Because there was no nation of Israel. And the Bible talked about the Antichrist making a covenant with the nation of Israel. And people would say, the Bible is so wrong. There is no nation of Israel. And the Muslims control the Middle East. There will never be a nation of Israel again. No nation from antiquity has ever come back to existence, especially in a scenario like you find in the Middle East where the Muslims control it. as you know, after the Holocaust of World War II, the United Nations decided to give the Jews a small portion of land in the old land of Israel. In 1948, they declared themselves a nation. And you probably know what happened. In 1967, there was a six-day war in which the Muslims uh, tried to destroy the nation of Israel. The Israelites won and gained control of Jerusalem. For the first time in hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jews controlled the city of Jerusalem. All of a sudden, people are like, wait a minute, what does the Bible say about Israel and Jerusalem again? What's going to happen? See, the Bible was coming alive again. The promises that God had made were coming to pass when the nation of Israel came into existence. I was looking at some articles this week Every candidate for mayor, they had an election this past month, in Jerusalem made it part of their platform. A plank in their platform was, "Rebuild the temple in Jerusalem." I'll just show you one article. This is Zehud Faglin says he wants he's one of the candidates for mayor of Jerusalem, says he wants to build the third temple right away." No, he says this in the article. Not in a year, not in two years. I want to build it right now. And I've read articles, or maybe you have as well, that they've already cut the stones. They have all the materials they need to rebuild the temple. It's just a matter of getting permission to do it. And it will be built quickly. Here's another article uh, I found. It's this. Messianic preparations underway as third temple planned. An amazing momentum in the land of Israel to rebuild the temple. Rabbis urge Trump and Putin to help rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. My friends, I hope you trust and believe the word of God. Everything around us is pointing exactly to what the Bible has prophesied for thousands of years. It's coming to pass. The same God that created 400 billion galaxies is working out human history exactly as he planned. I was at the Temple Mount a few years ago. And people have said to me, well, how could they ever rebuild the temple? Because the Dome of the Rock is built right on the spot where the temple used to stand. And the Muslims did that purposely to show their dominance over the Jews. When I was in Israel, however, I had a tour guide by the name of Mikael Ashkenazi. He was a well-known, famous uh, Jewish Archaeologist. In fact, he was at the dig that uncovered the first reference to Pontius Pilate outside of the New Testament. That was in the city of Caesarea. They uncovered the stone, and here's a reference to Pontius Pilate, the same guy in the New Testament. An amazing find. He became a believer in Christ, and he walked us on the Temple Mount. That arrow. Gives you the the route that we took as we walked past the Dome of the Rock, right? And he said, Don't sing any songs, don't sing any hymns, that will cause a major scene on the Temple Mount. So we didn't. We were very quiet as we walked by. He took us to where that arrow ends, and he said, The Muslims thought they built the dome on the rock on the site of the temple, but they put it on the wrong place. The temple could be rebuilt without even touching the dome of the rock. That there is room on the temple mount for the temple to be rebuilt. They could be built virtually side by side. And the prophecy of God's word would come to pass. Now I don't know if that's how it's going to be, but he said that, that, that temple mount still has room for the Jewish temple to be rebuilt. And there is a growing momentum to build it on the spot that it originally stood. See, God's word is being worked out exactly as he planned. Here's a third thing we need to remember today from Daniel's prophecy. Jesus Christ will return to this earth in power and glory. That's what he says in Matthew 24. These are Jesus' words, right? For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will it be the, the coming of the Son of Man. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great lo- glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. What event is Jesus talking about there? The rapture, exactly. You might say, well, no, what's that? the event talked about in the Bible. It's miraculous. It it boggles the mind how God can do this. But remember, he's God. He created 400 million galaxies, right? When Jesus returns, he'll not touch the earth again. He will come in the clouds, and he will call all those who believe in him to meet him in the clouds. That's called the rapture. Where do we get that word from? In the book of Thessalonians, the Bible talks about believers being caught up, right? The word in the Latin that was used in the Latin Vulgate version of the Bible was the word rapturus, which is where we get the word rapture from. We will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. Let's look at some of those verses. Uh, The Bible talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5 that this day will come like a thief in the night when people are saying peace and safety. Destruction will come. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should not overtake you like a thief. The reason why it's important for us to talk about this is so that when you see all of these signs happening, you'll know, wait a minute, this is all from the Bible. This is all God working out His plan. This is all God doing exactly what He promised He would do. Revelation 1-7, this is the written by John, right? The Apostle John. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. 1 Thessalonians 4, the passage I just referred to. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Remember Jesus? Body in the tomb, yet he still, his spirit had risen. He saw Martha, right, revealed himself, said, I've not yet ascended to my Father in heaven, came back. His body was raised, the glorified body, on Sunday. That's exactly what happens to the dead in Christ. Their souls are with the Lord now, but when this day comes, their bodies will be raised, a glorified body, just like Jesus. If you're alive, this is what the Bible says, those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. There's the word rapture, caught up caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord please don't doubt the promises of God what he says he will do he will do the nation of Israel should be an amazing confirmation of that no other nation from antiquity has ever come to life other than the nation of Israel that has not existed for hundreds and hundreds of years Now, when it comes to the view of the rapture, there are different views. And many of us hold different views about the rapture in this church. One thing I love about Riverview, we major on the major doctrines, right? What are the major doctrines? Salvation by faith alone. That Jesus is God in flesh. That there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. That the Bible is our authority today. Those are doctrines I would die for. When it comes to the rapture, when it happens in the tribulation, many different views. Freedom to believe differently. Uh, I would encourage you to study prophecy. It's a really fascinating study. Let me give you the four major views about the rapture. The first view is known as the pre-tribulational rapture. It happens at the very beginning of the great tribulation that is to come. It happens before all the Antichrist events happen during that seven-year period. People love that view. You know why? Because it takes you out of the tribulation. They love that view. And I used to hold it for many years. I'll share with you the view that I now hold. I I went to Bible college. That's the view that was taught in seminary. Every view was taught at seminary, but the majority view was the pre-trib view. Another view is this. It's the mid-trib. that will happen right at the middle to keep us from... Uh, The great tribulation that will occur in the second half. The view I hold, which I've held for the past 10 to 15 years, is the pre wrath position that we will be in the tribulation, but we will be raptured out right before God pours out his wrath on the world. The fourth major position is the post trib, that it happens right at the end of the tribulation. Now, there are people in this church that hold all four different positions. And I've had great discussions. I had one guy uh, kind of nab me in the bathroom after the second service. Mel, what about this about the pre And I'm like, you know, i, I got to go in the service. i got to go. i got to go back. Let's talk about it later. But man, it, 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 John, people get excited about this, right? Just be sure you get into the Word of God and decide for yourself what you believe because it's really important to have a view and understanding of what happens in the end times. And lastly, as we close, I want to say this. Believers in Christ are called to be ready and expecting the coming of Christ. Are you ready? How do you get ready? Let me give you some stuff. I have it in the bulletin in your notes. Receive salvation by faith. Everyone here today, are you a believer in Christ? Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Today is the day. God's promises are true. He doesn't fail on His promises. Next, evangelize people around you. Tell people, about what you believe and be bold about it. Don't be ashamed. You're a follower of Jesus and you're proud of it. Here's the next thing. Actively serve Jesus Christ. Use your gifts and abilities to make a difference in the impact on the kingdom of God. Deepen your walk with Christ. Get into the Word and study it. And then lastly, yield to Jesus Christ daily. In every area of your life, don't hold anything back. Don't say, Jesus, you can have 50% of me, but I want to do my thing on the other 50% all of me, Jesus. All of me is yours. I yield my life to you daily. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. And as our hearts are bowed today, if there's one message I wanted to get through today, it's this. God never fails on His promises. He's going to work out His plan exactly as He promised in His Word, and nothing will stop Him. And part of His plan is for you, he desires for you, if you haven't already, to put your faith and trust in Him. Do that today. Say, so, Jesus, I believe. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you're coming again. And I want to see you face to face. Lord, we do love you. It's awesome to see your word coming to fruition exactly as it states. That you're working out your plan. And yet we're amazed by your words that you are going and preparing a place for us that will blow us away. We can't even imagine how awesome that place is. We love you today, Lord. We love you today. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing the song. If you've got pain, he's painting. pain up front who love to pray with you. Please greet one another. Men, don't forget to sign up for the retreat and live this week. All for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.